Aren't those great? Those are great. Praise God. Uh, again, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here, and, and welcome to Hiawatha Church, especially if you are a visitor. Uh, my wife, Amy, and I, and, and my son, Charlie, we weren't here last week because we were on a, a short little vacation. We went to the UP, the Upper Peninsula of, of Michigan. Amy's grandparents have a lake home there, and we spent a few days there and then uh, traveled to Chicago for a, uh, for a family wedding. You all right? And uh, we, yeah, it's, it's weird not being here for a week. We really missed uh, Hiawatha Church. We missed you guys. We missed our, our spiritual family. So it's, it's great to be back. Um, so my wife, Amy, was a bridesmaid in the wedding that we went to. Her, her cousin got married. And uh, there, there are certain responsibilities that you need to have as a bridesmaid or, or as a groom. Things like uh, purchasing the dress or renting the tux. Uh, you know, some expenses that come up, being at certain places in certain times, helping out uh, with whatever the bride or the groom needs. And you do these things because you love the bride or because you love the groom, because you love the couple, because you have a true, real, deep friendship with them, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to be there for them, celebrate with them, and serve them. So... What would it tell you if a bridesmaid, we, we, we won't use uh, Amy as an example because she was a fantastic bridesmaid, probably the best bridesmaid there that day. <laughs> so, but, but what would it tell you if the morning of the wedding, just minutes before the ceremony, a bridesmaid or groomsman showed up with no dress, no shoes, no jewelry with them, their hair and makeup not done, unprepared, completely unprepared. And then she thinking that at the last minute she can just borrow a dress and shoes and jewelry and get all ready. You'd think that'd be crazy, right? Now think about if you are married, think about your own wedding. Think how, what, what, what would that communicate to you if one of your bridesmaids or groomsmen showed up minutes before the ceremony completely unprepared and banking on someone else gifting them, giving them everything that they needed at that last moment. So being prepared, being ready, being eager, confirms that the bridemaid belongs at that wedding. Whereas being unprepared and not ready at all demonstrates that that person really wasn't a true or real friend at all, but rather an imposter. So we're going to see something very similar in our passage today. Jesus is going to teach a parable about these ten virgins who are going to a wedding celebration. Ten bridesmaids in their response to the groom when he comes. So if you're brand new to Hiawatha, we have been in a study of the book of Matthew, one of the Gospels, one of Jesus' disciples that wrote about what he saw as he followed Jesus. We've been in this book for a long time. We're in the 25th chapter Almost two years now, and now we're starting to near the end. So last week, Jesus' disciples asked him some questions. Jesus, when are you going to come? When are you going to bring in your kingdom? What's that going to look like? And, and today, in Jesus' parable, he's going to talk about his kingdom, what it's going to look like, and especially the people who are able to enter it. We're in Matthew 25 today, starting in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven 
will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So Jesus starts off by saying, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. So you know this is a parable, and he's, he's not saying this is exactly how it's going to uh, how it's going to look, because this is a parable. He says it, it will be like something. And so when we, when we read parables in the Bible, especially Jesus' parables, we need to read them carefully because they're not allegories. They're not teaching exact truth that, that the kingdom is only going to be ten virgins and the bridegroom. But rather, parables are short stories that teach us a certain lesson or a certain aspect about, uh, in this instance, the kingdom. And so it's not helpful for us to focus on all the details exactly, but rather to see what is this story trying to teach us. And so just a little bit of cultural background about what's going on here when, when this parable starts out. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So it's a Jewish marriage custom that what would happen, the groom and his friends would start at his home and then they would go to the bride's home where the marriage ceremony was conducted. This was often done at night. After this, the entire wedding party then returned to the groom's home for a great celebration, a banquet, a feast. And so these ten virgins in this parable are, are, are bridesmaids who have been invited to the wedding and to the marriage feast. And it's the evening, so they take their lamps with them and they wait for the bridegroom to show up, to come pick them up and bring them to the marriage and the feast. If you think about it, obviously no electricity, no street lamps, and so in order to navigate a town or a village at night, it's very important that you have some type of light. So, so that's why these virgins are bringing their lamps with them to meet the bridegroom as they're waiting for him. So in this parable, it's probably obvious, but we're going to say it, the bridegroom is Jesus. Um, that word bridegroom just seems really weird to me because we don't say it too much. So I'm probably just going to end up saying groom. But uh, so the, the, the bridegroom in this story is Jesus. And then the ten virgins would be uh, sim- symbolizing the people who are physically in the church. The people who physically gather uh, on a Sunday morning like this or when Jesus is, is teaching this parable. The, the people who are physically gathering around Jesus. So these ten virgins, they've been invited to the wedding. They've got their lamps already. They know the bridegroom, and they're associating themselves with the other brides, with the other virgins. Verse 2, so five of them, speaking of the bridesmaids, five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So we'll stop right there again. Again, the the numbers are not necessarily important. We don't want to get lost in the details. It's not saying that half of the people that gather around Jesus are true believers and half are not, or half the people in our congregation are wise and half are foolish, or the other way around. But instead, it's just saying that among the people who gather on a Sunday morning that say that they are part of the church or that have been following Jesus, that there's going to be some who are true believers and some who are not. Obviously, lamps, they need oil to burn. Think in your head, kind of like a kerosene lamp that needs oil in it to burn. And so the wise virgins, the wise bridesmaids, are bringing extra flasks of oil 
because they're not going to let anything get in the way of them entering the celebration, entering the marriage feast. Whereas the foolish forget or choose not to bring any oil with them. Jesus contrasts these two types of bridesmaids. You have the wise bridesmaids that brought lots of oil. They're prepared for anything. They truly love him. They truly want to be with him. They want to enter his kingdom. They want to celebrate with him. And they're making sure that nothing's going to stand in the way. And they're ready. Whether it takes the groom 10 minutes or 10 hours, nothing is going to keep them away from the feast, the wedding, the bridegroom, the celebration. Where, on the other hand, Jesus calls some of the bridesmaids foolish because they think at the very end that they can borrow the power to light their own lamps. They are not ready, and it shows that they truly don't really care about the groom. If you love someone, just like Amy deeply, deeply loved the bride, you're going to be prepared. You're going to be ready. You're going to show with your actions that you truly do love that person. Some of these virgins, they just wanted to look good. They had a lamp. They were going out to meet the groom. They were a part of this wedding party, and they were going to this great feast. But they were foolish and unprepared. Just like the Pharisees that we have been seeing again and again and again in Matthew, that we've read so much about, they look good on the outside, but not on the inside. They looked like they were in, but we're going to find out that they actually weren't. They associate themselves with other believers, but when it truly mattered, we're going to find out that this was all but a facade. So a recap where we're we at. The bridesmaids, they go out to meet the groom who's coming to get them. It's evening, it's, it's dusk, it's starting to get dark, and they're waiting for him. Verse 5, as the, uh, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So they're waiting for him. They're anticipating the groom to show up, but he becomes delayed, and they all become drowsy and sleep. So this phrase, the bridegroom was delayed, it kind of reminds us of last week's passage that Jesse preached on. Way too much to talk about this morning. If you're interested in it, go back, uh, look online. You can listen to the sermon there. But in last week's passage, Jesus to told his disciples, no one knows when he's going to return. Many of Jesus' followers thought Jesus was going to turn in his physical body to bring about his kingdom fully right there in their lifetime. And most generations since then have thought that they are living in the last days and that Jesus is going to be returning very soon. But listen to this. Even though the bridegroom is delayed, even though Jesus has not yet returned to earth to usher in his kingdom fully and to defeat our enemies of Satan, sin, and death, we still know that God is sovereign and that he is in control. So even back in the first century, just, just a few years after Jesus had left, saying, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. Just uh, a few years after Jesus ascended to be with God the Father, the church, the disciples, they begin to worry about, well, is Jesus really coming back? Why has he not returned? Why has he not ushered in his new kingdom? Why has he not defeated our enemies? Why do we still live in a broken world? Why is life so hard? Why do I still struggle with sin? And they begin to worry. But as one of, the chief, one of the church leaders, Peter, he writes 
to the church and, he, and encourages them. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. And he explains why Jesus has been delayed, why the bridegroom is delayed. He tells them it's not due to a lack of love or that he has forgotten us or that he is slow to fulfill his promises, but it's actually because he loves us so much. It's actually because he's patient with us. That is why he's delayed. Peter writes to this church that's worrying, and he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. But listen to this. But he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So Jesus has waited. Right now, he's waited 2,000 years to return. Not because he's lazy. Not because he's forgotten us. Not because he's changed his mind. But he has waited so that more people may know him. He's waited so that we will have more and more time to repent of our sins and to believe we read here that his will is that none shall perish, but that all shall come to repentance. That they shouldn't have eternal life separated from him, but he's patient with them, patient with us, so that we can be reunited to him once again through belief. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Rest in that. Verse 6. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. The, bride, or the, the bridesmaids have been waiting for a long time. So long, it's gone deep into the evening, and they've all fallen asleep. Even the wise ones have fallen asleep. And finally, the groom shows up. Finally, he's here. There's a call. Come and meet him. He's here. Go with him to the celebration, to this wedding feast alongside of him. Verse 7, Then all those virgins rose up, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. So they wake up, they quick prepare their lamps, so that they can go out and meet the groom who is finally here. And the foolish, they thought that they'd have time. They realize now that they don't have any oil left, and they ask the wise to have theirs. The foolish knew that the wedding was coming. This wasn't a spontaneous thing. They knew about this, this feast, this wedding, this celebration for weeks and months, possibly even years, yet they were still unprepared. Verse 9, But the wise responded to them. They answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for you and for us, go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourself. So there wasn't enough oil. There wasn't enough oil to share to get all ten there. So instead of giving up their own oil, the wise would, uh, instead of giving up their own oil and then having to miss the bridegroom themselves, they tell the foolish to go buy some oil. Now, at first glance, this might sound kind of selfish. You might be thinking, well, hasn't Jesus been talking about loving your neighbor and, and not being selfish and about taking care of people? But fellow uh, Minneapolis pastor and author John Piper he helps clarify what, what's going on here in, in verse 9. He writes, The fact that the five wise virgins won't give them 
any oil, is not meant to teach selfishness. It is meant to teach the impossibility of borrowing faith. It is meant to teach the impossibility of borrowing the power of the Holy Spirit, the impossibility of borrowing obedience and faithfulness. It's too late. That is what we will see. What the wise virgins mean when they say in verse 9, there won't be enough for both, uh, both of us, so go buy your own oil. What they mean is this, we can't have faith for you and for us. We can't have inner spiritual life for you and for us. If you neglect them in this life, we can't create them for you. Each one bears his own load. So in desperation, the foolish virgins who wasted their life, they ran for the impossible. Instant end-time obedience. Instant end-time faith. Practically, this looks like parents. You can't have saving faith for your children. You can't have saving faith for a friend who just won't believe. Sons and daughters can't believe for their parents. Each person is responsible for themselves, for trusting Jesus, and no one can do that for you. Verse 10, Jesus continues, And while they were going out to buy, while the foolish were going out to buy more oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast. Jesus invites you today to his feast, into his kingdom, to join him at the greatest wedding celebration, the greatest banquet ever imaginable. And you didn't earn your invitation. Think about that. You're invited into his kingdom, invited into his feast, and you didn't earn his invitation. He gave it to you as a gift. He chose to give it to you. You were invited to participate in the glory that was the celebration of Jesus being united to his bride. Sorry, Peter, I'm going to steal a verse from your passage from next week, but it's just way too good not to use. Next week, we're going to read Jesus continue to, to uh, teach right after this parable, a different parable, and Jesus is going to say, then the king, speaking of himself, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit my kingdom, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Again, see that he's inviting freely, that he says you're going to inherit this kingdom. You're not going to earn this kingdom, but you're going to inherit this kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Ask yourself, are you excited? Are you excited for Jesus' return? Are you excited to enter into this banquet, into this feast, into his kingdom? Do we realize what is awaiting us? Do you realize, do we realize who we will be with? Or another question to ask is, do you long for it? Do you long for being reunited with your Savior? Do you long for this broken, sinful, painful world to end and for the new world to come, for resurrection to come, for the new heavens and earth to come? Life is really, really tough. And if, your life, if you're not feeling that right now, Hopefully you won't, but you probably will, and probably even pretty soon. Life is really hard. There's pain and suffering, broken relationships. There's sin. There's oppression. There's 
Lots of stuff. Life is really, really tough. So do we long for Christ's return? Do we long for the chance for us to be with our Savior in paradise, in his feast with him? Or some of us, and ask this question of yourself, are some of us hoping that Jesus will hold off just a little? Because life's really good right now. Jesus, yeah, I do want you to come back. I really do. I love you. I want, I want to be with you. I want to be in heaven. I want to be in paradise with you for sure. But can you wait? My softball team's playing really good, and it'd be great for us to finish the season. Or I'm not married yet, and if I could just be married, man, then you can come. Or if I can just retire and spend a few years just finally reaping the harvest of the, the years and years and years of me working and just have a little bit of retirement. Are we hoping, are we hoping Jesus will hold off just a little bit so we can enjoy life? We need to ask ourselves, are we ready? That's what this parable is teaching. Are we ready? There's five bridesmaids who are not ready and five bridesmaids who were, who were prepared. Each of you, ask yourself, have you accepted this free invitation knowing that he could come any minute. He could literally come in five seconds, or it could be another five years or five millennia. Are you ready or are you waiting, unprepared, assuming and banking on having a long life and repenting on your deathbed? Are you banking on Jesus not returning until after you have died? Are you saying to yourself, maybe, I'll get serious with Jesus later. Or I'll repent on my deathbed. Or I'm too busy right now to, to give up my whole life to Christ. Or let me just get all this sin out of my system. I'm young. This is fun. I can grow up and repent and believe later. But right now, life's just too good, Jesus. The, the groom took those who were there, those who were prepared, those who showed love and devotion to him and faith by eagerly awaiting him, by having oil in their lamps, by being prepared, they were the ones that got to join Jesus in the wedding feast. Back to the parable. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. The door was shut. There's not an infinite amount of time that you will have to respond to the king's invitation. They thought that they'd have time, but they missed the groom. The foolish, faithless, they arrive late, thinking that their last-minute scurry will get them in, but Jesus tells them that their unpreparedness, it demonstrates that they never truly knew him. They could fake it for a while, but when it counted, they weren't prepared. They weren't ready. And when they asked Jesus to open the door, he responds by saying, why, why would I let you into my feast? You're a stranger. You're a wedding crasher. I don't even know you. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus taught this exact same thing. In Matthew 7, he taught, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We don't use that language as much, but it would be the same as saying, not everyone who says to Jesus, I'm a Christian, I label myself a Christian, I call myself a Christ follower, not, not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father 
who is in heaven, which is have faith in his son. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus taught from the very beginning of his ministry that not everyone who calls him Lord, not everyone who associates with Jesus, who even gathers with his people, with his disciples, really truly believes. Think of Darren's story. In God's sovereignty, Darren's story lined up with, with today and today's passage. So Darren knew a lot of truth. He knew a lot of truth. He prayed. He believed in God. He even believed that Jesus died on the cross for his sins, and it was a free gift. But he didn't choose to believe. He didn't choose to begin that relationship with Jesus Christ until later. The foolish say, but Jesus, I went to church. I gathered around other Christians. I even knew some of my Bible. I prayed out loud. Maybe even I served. Jesus, I have a lamp. Look at me, I have a lamp, but the lamp is empty. The lamp is without oil. The oil that is faith in a true relationship with Christ. And if that describes you, that describes if you're someone who thinks that just being here makes you a Christian, or that just reading your Bible or calling yourself a Christian makes you right with God, not true. But there is hope. There is hope. There is good news. That door is not shut yet. Today is the day to believe. Today is the day to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ with this groom, who's not just a groom, but he's also a king. And he has a kingdom, and he wants you to enter into that kingdom with him for free. And he has a feast prepared for you. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If this is you today, don't put it off. These foolish bridesmaids thought that they had time. We think we're invincible. We think nothing bad will happen to us. We think that we have time. Maybe you're in the best shape of your life. You have fantastic insurance and security. and You think you're not going to die. Jesus still could come back. Jesus ends his, ends his parable that's been describing his kingdom and which people will be a part of it by saying, watch. He says, be ready, because this kingdom's coming. Be prepared, because we don't know if it's going to be in five minutes or if it's going to be five millennia. Be spiritually awake. Verse 13, Jesus ends with, Watch, therefore, because you don't know neither the day nor the hour. Again, giving some clarity to this final saying of Jesus, this watch, John Piper writes, Watch does not mean look out the window at night. It does not mean go up onto a mountain and wait. Even the wise virgin slept when it was time to sleep. Watch means be spiritually awake. Be alive and alert to Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit that he gives us now. Use all the means God has given you to know him and love him and trust him. Be filled with the oil of faith, joy, 
from hope. So as we watch, as Jesus tells us to do, as we watch and as we wait his return, let's make the most of every opportunity because we don't know if he's coming back in five minutes or in 500 years. Don't just sit on your hands waiting for Jesus to come back, but rather be good stewards of your time. Ephesians 5 writes, Look carefully then, speaking to the church, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Colossians 4, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is now, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So in Ephesians and Colossians are arguing, the days are short. We think, we think we have years and years and years, but the days are short. So utilize that time that you have. Like he said here, pray that the gospel will go forth. Pray that this mystery of the cross will be made clear to other people. Utilize your time. Utilize your resources. Next week, Peter's going to preach on the parable of the talents, and, and this idea is going to be expounded upon a lot. So we'll get more of that next week as well. So as we close today, let me first talk to those who are not Christians. Those of you who have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You could be someone who's just checking out Christianity. Maybe someone invited you here this morning. Maybe you're interested in the Bible or you're very a spiritual person or you're very intrigued by Jesus or some of his teachings. We're glad you're here. We really honestly are glad you're here. Come to Hiawath and just receive. Just be here. Learn about Jesus. Stick around. We're glad you're here. We really are glad you're here. And there's other people like you around. Or maybe you're another person who's not a Christian. Maybe you're not the one I just described, but maybe you are one of the foolish bridesmaids. Maybe you call yourself a Christian. Maybe you think you are a Christian. Maybe you grew up in the church. You attend on Sunday mornings. Maybe you're even in a community group or even serve someplace. You know some of your Bible. You play the part really well. And Jesus is warning you today that if that is you, he does not know you. So if you are not a Christian today, first of all, know that you are invited. Know that you did nothing to earn it or to be beautiful enough to be desirable for him to want to invite you. But know that you are invited, that he chose you and he wants you to come into his kingdom. He wants to have relationship with you. And don't just pretend. You don't need to pretend anymore. Being a true Christian is just repenting of our sin and turning and facing Jesus, putting our trust in what he did for us. So you don't have to look good. You don't have to attend on a Sunday morning. You don't have to say the right things or look the right way. You don't have to show up with a lamp. All you have to do 
is trust in Christ alone. And as you're thinking about this, see God's patience as his love for you and as his desire that you would be saved. He's given you years and years and years of breath so that you have time to repent. He's patient with you. He's brought you here this morning. See God's patience with you as his love for you and his desire for you to be saved. And now to the rest of Hiawatha Church, to those who truly are Christians, who have put their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. What does this mean for us today? What does this passage, this parable mean for us today? First thing is, be encouraged. Know that your salvation is destined by God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. If you're struggling with Jesus' strong words here today, and you know you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, you know, you know that you're not relying on your own good works for your salvation, but you still struggle with a bit of doubt or feeling like, well, what if I lose my salvation? What if I, I start to sin and I haven't repented enough for that sin, which was part of Darren's story? Listen to what 1 Thessalonians says about this. Be encouraged and know that your salvation, Christian, is destined by God. 1 Thessalonians 5 for God has not destined us for wrath. He's speaking to the church now, to believers. But he has destined to, for us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, dead or alive, we might live with him. And then he, he says this, and then he says afterwards, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. He's saying, Christian, if you believed, know that God has destined that you would believe and be encouraged by that. Know that the groom has come and got you, invited you into his kingdom and encourage one another with that. Build up the church with that truth. And the second thing as we leave here this morning, Christian, be ready. Be ready. Don't be a fool that thinks even if you're a believer, that you have years and years and years to live your life for Christ or that you can get right with Jesus later on down the road or you're just too busy right now or that it's not worth it. Jesus is warning to his disciples today, to us today, to be ready. He's coming back. Be excited about that. Eagerly await that and desire that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are we thank you for this whole story that we get to see your great love for us, your great patience for us, that you invite us into your kingdom, that you choose us to join you in your kingdom at this great feast. And we do nothing. We do nothing but accept it and walk in. We thank you for that. Pray that your warning to us, both Christian and non-Christian alike, that we would turn to you, Jesus, that we would accept your invitation, that we would not waste our lives. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.